welcome to Closet Conversations with Cody. This is Cody Chembars, and we are excited for another Closet Conversations devotion this morning. Just a reminder, we are live every Monday morning on Facebook Live at 8.30 in the morning. We also have a YouTube channel where we upload all of our videos every Monday morning as soon as we finish our devotion. So please enjoy today's content, and we will see you soon. Good morning, beloved. Today is Monday, April the 13th. It is 8.52 in the morning, and I am excited to be here. We had a wonderful day yesterday. How many of you enjoyed Resurrection Sunday yesterday? The tomb is empty. He's no longer there. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and for me. That is some good news. So I trust that you had a wonderful day yesterday. I know we had a wonderful drive-in service at our church, and it was an incredible day. You, with everything going on in the world, with every, with everything the government mandates and saying that we can't meet and can't be any closer than six feet, we were able to have a drive-in, and everyone was there honking their horns. We were able to wave at each other. So it was a great day, and I'm sure that you had a wonderful Resurrection Day yesterday as well. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to look at a story, actually two stories from the Bible, and you know the Lord's put this on my heart a couple of weeks ago, and I didn't feel that it was the right time to share it. And so this morning, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to actually take a look at David. So we're going to be in the Old Testament. So if you want to go ahead and get your Bibles, you're going to we're going to be in Second Samuel. Six. So go ahead and prepare your Bible, 2 Samuel 6. While you're doing that, if you missed last week's message, we talked about hard hearts and how we all have the tendency to be like Judas Iscariot. We all have that tendency to feel religious and feel that we're doing the right thing by taking money from and selling, selling the perfume that was used to wash Jesus's hair and give it to the poor. We all have that, that innate ability inside of us to betray Jesus and what he did on the cross at any point in any time. And that's what we looked at last week, making sure that we don't have hard hearts towards the things of Jesus and the things of our Father and his commandments that he's given us. So this, I guess you could say it's going to be a continuation of that because what we're going to look at today specifically is a man in the Bible that this, that was on top of of the mountain, that he was as close to God. He was celebrating. He was worshiping. He was tithing. He was serving. He was doing everything that he could to show how much he loved his father. And then a few short chapters later, we find complete devastation because of one single decision. Now, hopefully that's piqued your interest and you're ready to, to dive in. So we're going to go to 2 Samuel 6. Now, a little bit of the backstory here. So the Ark of God, in my Bible, it says moving the Ark to Jerusalem. So we're picking up the story of David where he has just become king of all Israel. And so a couple of chapters before this, in the end of 1 Samuel uh, 20, I think it's 20 or 31, rather, we find that Saul has actually committed suicide. He fell on his own sword, and 
David, a few chapters later, is now king of all Israel. And we've we've already know David. He has killed a bear and, and lions when he was guarding his sheep. He killed Goliath. He saw many victories. He went out and and killed a hundred or two hundred Philistine for Saul's daughter. And so we just see we we kind of see this progression up the mountain that that David is a mighty man of God. We he, he slaughtered Goliath with a rock and a sling. And, and we, we look at David and say, Oh my gosh, David is just a mighty man of God. And, and then he's, he, he runs from Saul because Saul wants to kill him. And he had two opportunities to take Saul's life. And he said, I am not touching the Lord's anointed and let Saul go, even though Saul wanted to kill him, threw spears at him, threatened him, sent, sent armies after David. And so we, we, we see that David is just, Man, he's just the, the type of man that we want to be or, you know, the type of person that loves God and that's just serving God. And then we we get over here to, to, to six. He's just anointed king of Israel. And then we get over to chapter six of second Samuel. And now we see David wanting to move the ark or the presence of God into the city, into the city where he is king over. And we, we look at it and actually what happens is that there is a, there's a soldier that's trying to move the ark of God and the, the ark actually starts to tumble and he touches the ark and he instantly dies. So what, what we find is that David, this mighty man of God now is afraid of the presence of God. And so what happens is he drops it off into the into Obed-Edom's house. And he says, all right, the ark of God is going to stay here. And, and you just watch over it. Don't touch it. <laughs> this is what just happened. And then we pick up in chapter 16, or I'm sorry, excuse me, uh, in, in chapter 12, it, then King David was told, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. After the men were carrying the ark of the Lord had, had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and blowing of ram's horns. And this is where we get the story of where he comes into the city and he is dancing around in his underwear. <laughs> he was he was dancing around in his underwear. And so what happened when he finally made it there, he finally made it there and then he his wife Michael, who is Saul's daughter, gets upset at David. Why is a king dancing in his underwear in front of all of these women in the kingdom? Now, there's there's two things that we want to to focus on here for just just a little bit. The first part is we need to be like David and do whatever we need to do to get and keep the presence of the Lord with us. Now, we're going to we're going to talk just a little bit about that but what we see is we know 
what David experienced. We know that David defied Goliath because he said, who dares defy the God of angel armies? We know that, that David has a love for the Lord and we need to continue to pursue him. We need to continue to be running after him and the things of him. And we need to be able to celebrate and worship him. If you go back and look, it said they offered a sacrifice every six feet because they were so, what they, they may have done that out of fear because of, of what happened to the previous soldier that touched it, but they wanted to honor and to please God. So every six feet, every six steps, every six steps, it's not even six feet, every six steps, they offered a sacrifice to the Father, to, to God. And, and then what happens is he brings the ark into the city because he wants the blessings in his city the same way that the blessing were over Obed-Edom's house. And he comes in, celebrates, and he's he's dancing in the street. He, he doesn't care who sees him or what anybody thinks about him. But then we find his wife. And this is the second point of this, is that we are going to be on the mountaintop. We are going to be in the presence of the Lord. And there will be people around us, close to us, that say, what are you doing? Are you out of your mind? Why, why are you acting like this? Why do you love God so much? Why do you always go to church? Why do you always want to pray for people? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you serve other people and love other people? You are going to experience that. And do you know what he said? Do you know what David re replied to Michael? This is, this is Michael's exchange in verse 20. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. But here's what David replied, and here's what you're going to say to those people. And typically it's your family. Typically it's your close friends. When you've made a decision to say, I am going to worship the Lord. I am going to take my relationship to the next level. I want to love him better. I want to love him more. You are going to experience backlash. You are going to experience people close to you that, that question you and say, what are you doing? Is this even real? How long is this going to last? Because they don't understand what you have. And here's what David said. David retorted to Michael, I, in verse 21, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father, Saul, and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. So Michael, the daughter of Saul remained childless throughout her entire life. Because of Michael's contempt and because of what Michael, his wife, thought of the world's view and what other people were going to think about Saul, because of that and because she did not have the love towards God, she remained childless throughout the rest of her life. Crazy. Crazy what happens when people will come in and try to rob you of the joy that you have with your father. 
And, and maybe some of you have experienced that. I know I experienced that when I first had a relationship with, with Jesus. They said, Cody, this is, this is temporary. This isn't going to last. This is just a season. This is a phase. Jesus, what? No, no. Come, come back and party with us. Come back and do everything that you used to do. And see, that's the, that's the issue is the people that are closest to you. They know everything that you've done. They know everything that you've done. They knew the lifestyle that I used to live. They knew everything that I used to do. And so they, when they saw me, they didn't see this, this person that said, I love Jesus. He saved me from all this. I don't have to be living like this. I thought I, I thought I was having fun and enjoying my life, but you don't have to live like that. Fall in love with Jesus. So we're going to skip over a couple chapters, but I just want to do a real quick summary. So in chapter seven, of, of second Samuel, the Lord's covenant promised to David. Now what we see is we see God because he brought the ark, because David brought the ark back to Israel, that, that God made a covenant with him. God made a, com- a promise, a contract with David to say that this is what you're going to do. And then David responds with a prayer of thanks. And then we see in, in chapter eight, David's military victories. So all of a sudden we start seeing because the ark is there, because the favor of God is there, we start seeing David walking in those blessings. And then then go over to chapter 9, David's kindness to Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was one of the last ones of Saul's bloodline. And what, and, and he was not killed because he was actually wounded as a baby. He was dropped. His nurse dropped him and he was crippled and he was moved out of the, the, the castle or out of the kingdom. And, and he finds his way back because David says, I want to bless Saul's bloodline. Even though Saul tried to kill me, I want to bless him. Is there anybody left in Saul's bloodline? And then here comes Mephibosheth. And David says, you will sit at the king's table. You will sit with me. And so we see that David's love and favor and goodness and grace is extended even to the bloodline that tried to kill him. And then in verse in, in chapter 10, we see David defeats the Ammonites. I'm just reading the title straight from my Bible. And then we get to the historic for our chapter 11, David and Bathsheba. In the, and we're going to pick up in verse 1. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of his bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was and was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. And we find out later on that he arranges, in verse 14, David writes a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver because now he is plotting for Uriah's death because he wants to take Bathsheba for his own, to be his own. Now, as I've, as I've studied this and read this, it, it blows my mind 
It blows my mind because we see David, this humble king, this, this, this young teenager who kills a, a giant and, and starts, goes on the run and, and creates this incredible army and, and then is crowned king of Israel and brings the ark of God in and dances in the streets and, and, and shows kindness to Saul's bloodline and sees victories. And, and then he gets here. He's on top of the mountain. He's, he's in the mountaintop. He's as close to God. It's the presence of God that he can. Kind of like what Moses did when he was on the mount for 40 days and was given the, the Ten Commandments. But then all of a sudden we see David. The apple of God's eye, we see David sleep with Bathsheba. And, and you wonder, you say, well, how, how does a mighty man of God how does someone that's experienced all these victories and all this incredible provision of God, how does he, how does he mess up? How does he screw up? And that's what we're talking about today. You and me, we are all one decision away from losing everything. Everything. Our decisions bring forth a consequence. And we're going to look at the consequence that happened because of this. But we are all one decision away from losing everything. The enemy wants us to fall. The enemy wants us to set our sights on a Bathsheba. Now, it may not be a woman or a man. It may not be that situation for you. It may be alcohol. It may be drugs. It may be lying. It may be stealing. Whatever it is, we all have our own Bathshebas. There's, there's something that I want to type or I want to touch on before we continue though, because the Bible gives us a hint right here of how to avoid our Bathsheba, how to avoid our temptation. Go back to verse 1. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the army and laid siege to the city. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. And you say, Cody, why is that important? He's a king. He can do whatever he wants. What was David supposed to do? David was supposed to be in war. David was supposed to be dressed in his full armor. David was supposed to be out on the battlefield leading his people to victory. But what was David doing? David was found complacent. David was found not doing what he was supposed to do. David was found, look at it, after his midday rest, David was found napping. He was napping. If he had been on the battlefield, what would he have been doing? He would have been seeking God's face. He would say, Lord, is this battle yours? Do we fight this battle? He would have been communing with God. He would have been leading his people, leading his people into God, in the presence of God. But we find him not where he's supposed to be, and he is napping. I'm not trying to stretch it. It said after a midnight 
or midday rest, David got out of bed. A midday rest, and he was in bed. Maybe he was maybe he was closing his eyes or resting his eyes. Maybe he wasn't fully napping. But we, you understand what I'm saying. When when we fall, when we give in to the temptation of our flesh to our Bathshebas, would you agree that typically it's when we're not doing what we're supposed to do? We're not praying. We're not reading our Bible. We're not fellowshipping with other believers. We're not seeking God's face the way that we have in the past. Would you agree with me on that? I know personally that's what's happened to me every single time. Every single time. I, I, I would I would just take this slow couple of steps backwards. And the next thing I know, I'm so far from where I was before. I'm like, how did I get here? And then I, I found my Bathsheba. I've I found my Bathsheba. And it doesn't stop there because that was bad enough. That was bad enough to, to, to sleep with another man's wife. He committed adultery. But what he does after that is where the enemy really starts wreaking havoc in our life. What does he do? David arranges Uriah the Hittite's death. So not only did he commit adultery, now he is scheming. Now he is completely, his brain is completely shut off. All of his thoughts are completely shut off to the voice of God. And now he's thinking, all right, how can I continue to live in my sin? How can I continue to remain with Bathsheba? Well, the only way that I can do that is I've got to kill off Uriah the Hittite. And that's the same way with us. Well, I I like my sin. Man, I forgot how good that sin felt for that momentary 30, 60, 180 seconds. But but then the condemnation comes in from the enemy and says, "You're Cody, are you really even a Christian that you just did that? You, you know that you're not supposed to do that. Why did you do that? So now you might as well just keep staying in that sin. You might as well just keep staying in that muck, in that mud. You're dirty. Might as well just see how dirty you can get. Is anyone relating this morning? Anybody relating? And if it's just me, it's just me. Praise God for that. And so we see David, he's arranging Uriah's death and they send the army up to the wall and, and Uriah gets killed. And the report comes back and of course, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. And when the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace and she became one of her wives. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased with what David has done. The Lord was displeased with what David has done. Now, every decision that we make has a consequence. Every decision that we make has a consequence. And I had this conversation with my children three weeks ago, actually with with Grace specifically. And I said, Grace, you know, you we were we were having a conversation about the repercussions, the consequences of her decision. And she said, Well, I want to choose, I want to choose this consequence. I said, Grace, you know, I, I appreciate that. But you do not get to choose the consequence. 
the only thing that you have a choice about is the decision that you can make. The only decision that you and I have, we have two. We can either choose to go after Bathsheba with everything that we have and abandon and forget everything that God's done for us and brought us through and and placed us in currently. We can do that. We have that choice. We have that free will. But we can't determine the consequences of that. Or in the beginning, when that sin and that temptation comes, we can say, well, I, I don't want that. I don't, it's, it's not worth it. It's not worth that 60 seconds of gratification. It's not worth that, that short lived gratification. I, I don't want it. And you could choose. That is your choice. But if you do not have the boundaries and your, your decision set up ahead of time, the enemy will come in and he will, because he knows, he knows what your Bathsheba is. He knows what my Bathsheba is. We have to decide ahead of time. We have to make the choice ahead of time because we know the consequences of that choice. We know that if we don't give in to that Bathsheba, that if we would have been on, at war and or been seeking God's face, that we wouldn't have seen that temptation anyway, that sin. We, we could have made that decision. I'm not missing out on any wartime. I'm going to put on my armor of God, the full armor. I am going to be praying. I am going to be leading my people. I'm going to be fellowshipping with people. I'm going to be seeking God's face. I, we, can just, we can determine that ahead of time. But it's when we don't have a plan and the Bathsheba comes in and we're in a weakened state, just waking up. Maybe he was, maybe he was feeling guilty. Maybe, maybe he's like, man, I should have been out with my people. Maybe I should have been leading the war. Maybe that's why he was resting. I don't know. But I do know that it's in our point of weakness where we find ourselves looking face to face with a Bathsheba and we have a decision. Now, could, could David have, has stopped prior to actually being intimate with her? Absolutely. He could have called for her and said, what's your name, Bathsheba? I'm married to Uriah the Hittite, one of your soldiers. Okay, great, great, great. All right. I just wanted to introduce myself. I'm, I'm King David and sent her back. But he had made a choice ahead of time. This is what I'm going to do. And that's how the enemy works with us. He gives us. Now, hear me clearly. The enemy did not make David do that. The enemy cannot make us sin. The enemy can only throw fiery darts that come into thoughts, and then we think on those thoughts, and our thoughts become our actions. That's how that happens. The enemy did not make you sin. The enemy did not make you cheat on your your husband or wife. The enemy did not make you hate somebody else. You have a choice. You do, whether you like hearing that or not. But I know a lot of people out there like to blame the enemy. Oh, the enemy made me do it. The enemy, it was the enemy. It was the devil. It's not. It's not. You have to take responsibility for your actions. And part of that is deciding ahead of time that I know my Bathsheba is this. I'm staying as far away from that balcony as possible. And so we see that the prophet Nathan comes in and tells David a story and says, 
about a rich man and a poor man and, and taking from the flock and prepared it for his guest. And David got angry and said, I would kill that man. And then Nathan says in verse 11, this is what the Lord says, because of what you had done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with him in a public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. The consequence of his decision, the consequence, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. This is where in Absalom, Absalom comes in in Second Kings. David's son rises up against him and chases David the same way King Saul did. Crazy. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes. Absalom sleeps with all of David's concubines and he will go to bed. He did that on the rooftop so everyone can see. You did it secretly, but I will make that happen so that you to you openly in the sight of Israel. And then we find David. David then confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, yes, you have sinned. But get this, get this. But the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. Consequence. We have no control over the consequence. David had no control over the consequence. Do you think that if David would have known the consequence ahead of time, do you think David would have slept with Bathsheba? I don't know. I don't know. But that is where we have to be. Cody, if you lie in business, X can happen. You could be sued. You could be reported. You could be whatever. Cody, if you choose to pursue another man's wife, this is what could happen. You're going to lose your family. You're going to lose your wife. You're going to lose everything. What drives us to make those decisions? It's the temporary. It's the temporary satisfaction. It's the temporary pleasure that drives us. Yet, we don't realize what is coming down the road because of our decision. I don't know if this is making sense. I, I, I'm, I'm here to, one, encourage us to say that no matter what happens, there, there's, a couple, there's three things that I want to walk away with with this. First, we need to keep our eyes on the Lord. We need to stay close to Him. We need to pray. We need to read our word. We need to fellowship with other strong believers. Two, we have to decide ahead of time what we're going to do when our Bathsheba is presented in front of us. So we need to identify our Bathsheba, and then we need to decide ahead of time what's going to happen. Because we have no, we have no options of what we can choose because of our sin. We have no, we, we are not allowed to choose the consequences of our sin. One time looking at or being with Bathsheba may result in one consequence, but, but another time with Bathsheba may result in an extreme more consequence or extreme, um, a more extreme consequence for you. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. And third, and third, 
David repented. David confessed. So you you may be feeling like David right now. You We've been out of church for three or four weeks now. We've been doing online church. We haven't been able to, to fellowship. We haven't been able to gather. And you may be like David right now. You may be, you may be just enticing and flirting and, and in bed with Bathsheba right now. You may be. And, and four weeks ago, you were on fire. You were, you were in the battlefield. You were in the trenches. You were seeking God. You were praising him. But now you're in bed with Bathsheba and you've arranged for other things to happen. But going back and looking at it, I have sinned against you. You can repent. You can repent right now. Father, forgive me. I am in bed with my Bathsheba. Lord, I repent. Take, I I surrender this Bathsheba to you. And I choose to walk with you. Forgive me for my sins. Cleanse me. And he did. You will not die for this sin. But you have to repent. You have to confess. And then there is a consequence that is going to come because of your Bathsheba. There is. And it may be as extreme as losing a baby. It may be your marriage separated. It may be your bank account struggling. It may be fill in the blank. We have no control over that. But the only thing that we can do is repent and go back to the place where we first found God, where we first trusted God and say, this is where I'm standing. I've seen way too much in my life to go back. I've seen you kill Goliath. I've seen you deliver me from the hands of my enemies. I've seen you give me gracious victories. I've seen you allow me to bring the ark of your presence into the city. I've seen all that. So I'm going back there. I'm turning away from, from my Bathsheba and I'm going back to where I, where I lost you, where I left you at. I left you. That's what happened. David left God standing on that balcony when he decided to go forward with Bathsheba. So if that's where you're at today, repent, turn from it, ask for forgiveness and move on. He's ready to get back into communion with you. He is ready to spend time with you again. And if maybe you're not there, maybe, maybe you, you, you've, you've really been flirting with that Bathsheba, but you have not made any moves. Maybe this video is, is to encourage you to say, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Move on. Keep pressing forward. Keep your nose down. Keep your knees on the ground and keep moving forward. Keep seeking after him. Amen. Amen. It is a 33 minute video. <laughs> I'm not apologizing. It was good. Uh, I hope this made sense. Uh, it, it did in my spirit. And so I love you. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for watching. Thank you for all the comments on the side. Uh, we'll have this up by the end of the day today. And you guys have a blessed week. We will see you next Monday at 830. Have a wonderful day. We trust that today's message blessed you. And if it did, please send it to somebody who really needs to hear it. Have a blessed day.